0: Hello, this is Christy Amira Harfouche, and you're listening to the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. We have a message for you today from Reverend John Harfouche. For more information, live broadcasts, and video teachings, connect with us online at globalrevival.com and join us every week for the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We have been studying on the birth of the church at Pentecost and um, we're going to continue where we left off as uh, all of the sons and daughters that were in the upper room went out into the streets and noised abroad the good news after the fire of God came down from heaven and rested on each and every one of them. And uh, uh, every nation was preached to in a single day. 3,000 were added and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, just like the 120. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, And I I, I think we left off somewhere around... and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Hallelujah. Uh, We're going to read from chapter 3. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. This is chapter 3 of the book of Acts. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms, and Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Hallelujah. Did they have something? Yes. He he was expectant to receive something from Peter and John. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered in with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Such as I have, give I unto thee. You may be seated this morning. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Reverend John Michael Emmanuel Harfouch. And it's good to be with you this morning uh, to minister to you. Uh, the apostles, Dr. Christian, Dr. Robin downloaded me with the word for you this morning told me exactly what you, what you needed to hear by the leading of the Holy Ghost, and, uh, and uh, that's good. That's very good. So this morning, such as I have, I am going to give to you, this statement is important, and we know it's important because it's recorded. We know it's important because Peter said it by the leading of the Holy Ghost, the spirit of truth, the member of the Godhead. Peter could have said, rise up and walk. Right? Like Jesus said when he healed that lame man. What's easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or rise up and walk? Right? Peter said, such as I have, give I unto you. And this statement that we see immediately following the beginning of the church is the pattern that the apostles and the children of God follow as they minister throughout not just the first century, but through the entirety of history. Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you, By the laying on, by prophecy and the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And in his other epistle, he says, stir up the gift that's in you by the laying on of my hands. Something was given to Timothy by Paul. Something was given to this man by Peter and by John. And that transmission... That delivery of that power and that word and that truth and that life and that spirit is the pattern by which ministry takes place in the church. It's the pattern by which people are appointed to take positions within the church. It's the power by which the faith is handed down down from generation to generation, not just as words, because the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. What we have is not dead words. What we have is the life of God. And so such as I have, give I unto you is the pattern of ministry in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. It's the pattern of ministry even of Jesus. Because what did he say? It's better for you that I go. Because if I don't, the promise can't come. What, what has been promised you cannot come to you. The thing that the Father has given to me, I cannot give to you unless I go. Tell me, could you be expected or even asked to do the works that Jesus did and greater works if Jesus did not say, such as I have, give I unto you. If you didn't have what Jesus had, then there's no point in asking, what would Jesus do? And when you're talking about something that we have, That's not some thing. It's not a feeling or a jolt of electricity or some kind of charge from a battery or some kind of uh, 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 commodity that runs out. The thing is not a thing at all. It is the Holy Ghost... It is the Lord living on the inside of you. The infinite one that cannot run out. And so, if that such as I have was given to the apostles, and that such as I have was given to the generation after them, and that such as I have, was given to the generation after them, then could it diminish? No! If it did, then it wasn't that such as I have. So the Holy Ghost is not some amount of blessing that was poured out at the beginning and eventually ran out. The Holy Ghost is the third person of the Trinity. And so if you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, you have exactly the same amount of that such as I have that the apostles did. And we know that Jesus did what he did as a man anointed by God, the anointed one. That is what Christ means and so that such as he had that method of ministry that source of power that he walked in as a man anointed by God is the same such as he had that he poured out on the church it's the same power living in the church You know, there's a whole lot of Christians out there that are that will tell you that Jesus is living in their heart. Jesus is living in them, and they believe that, but no power came with that at all. Jesus' power is not living in them. That doesn't add up. It it doesn't make sense. The, the conception that the Holy Ghost poured out on the early church that the Holy Ghost when he was operating in Christ's earthly ministry is different than the Holy Ghost living in you right now is blasphemy. I am the Lord, I change not When you're talking about something infinite, it can pour out forever and never be diminished by that pouring out. It can such as I have to an infinite number of people and it's never divided. It's never lessened. It is the same infinite capacity It's not just power. It's a person. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And listen, we understand there is one God. The Holy Ghost and the Son and the Father are one. That's why we can say that the son lives in us because the Holy Ghost is on us. That's why the father lives in us because the Holy Ghost is in us. There's no dividing or lessening or splitting or breaking up. That can happen. It cannot happen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, such as I have, give I unto you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, what happened? What happened? What happens when people uh, start uh, pouring out the Holy Ghost? And as the lame man, which was healed by Peter, which is healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? No, it wasn't just Peter and John. It was what Peter and John had, what had been poured out on them. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer be granted unto you, and killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him, hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So what healed this man? Was it something dispensational that only existed at that time and we don't have access to? It was the faith. In his name. The faith. That is by his name. Listen, we can't call ourselves Christian if we don't have the faith that is by his name. We cannot call ourselves born again if we do not have the faith that is by his name. So if the faith that is by his name healed that lame man then, then what possible excuse could you have for saying the faith that is by his name Cannot do it today. Has the faith that is by the name of Jesus gotten weaker? Has the name of Jesus gotten weaker? Listen, there's a reason that we talk about the fact that healing is included in the atonement. There is a reason that we focus on the Word and the Spirit, on the power that is in the promises of God. Why? Because the Lord tells us what the Antichrist spirit looks like. And it's those that deny the power thereof. There's a people that look like they worship the Lord, but they deny the power thereof. And if you deny the power of God, you do not believe in God. If you deny the power of God, then you don't believe that what you received is the same thing that these men received. That that man at the gate called beautiful received. Because his faith in the name of Jesus healed him after 40 years of being crippled. Like that. There has been no diminishing because there cannot be a diminishing. Not to God. God does not run out. And we see that. I mean we we just watched we just watched a video of a miracle of a testimony about a miracle. We see miracles all the time, but listen, you have to understand that that is what you received. And in the case of that man who had a physical problem in his life, what he received healed him. In the case of John and Peter, what they received, they delivered to that man in order to heal him and so that power is for your life and that power is for the lives of every person who has a need that they can't solve who has an addiction that they can't break who has a natural situation that they can't beat such as I have give I unto you hallelujah and now, brethren, I what that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet, shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken Have likewise foretold of these days. Hallelujah. 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 Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying unto Abraham, How many of you are Abraham's seed? Thanks to Abraham's seed who lives on the inside of you. Saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. And so he is standing in the temple on the porch of Solomon, preaching the fulfillment of all of the prophets that came before, of all of the prophets that spoke of the coming promise, the promise that we spoke about last week they had just received. The such as I have that they had just received the thing that was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days, the Lord would pour out his spirit on his servants and his handmaids had just happened. The fulfillment of every prophecy. Hallelujah. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, not in that way. (laughs) They laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. They locked them up. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. This is quite a meeting. This is within a day or days of Pentecost, you know, and you have, uh, we, we don't know how many people there were because it, it lists men. There could be many more people than that, but imagine Peter and John healing this man, and then preaching on Solomon's porch to these thousands and thousands of people, this multitude of people, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they believed it because, you know, how do you say no to that, right? And it came to pass on the morrow, that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, He had. He had it. He was like, I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. <laughs> This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. We read the scriptures speaking about the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, of the church with Christ as the chief cornerstone, right? That is what he is talking about. That is what Kephas, Peter, the stone, the rock is talking about neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They were, of course, not uh, of the priestly class, they, had, they didn't have a, a degree from the school that was run by the high priests. That, but obviously they knew what they were talking about. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. The term they took knowledge means they recognized them. They were like, wait a second. I've seen those two guys before. They were with Jesus. Right? Right? Hallelujah. And beholding the man which was healed standing before them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. There was like 10, 15,000 people right there when they did it. (laughs) But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, Judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, it's really rough when you finally kill that Jesus guy. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden all those crazy people that had been following him around start casting out devils and healing the sick all over the place and telling everyone that he's alive? That's got to be frustrating. He worked so hard. Worked so hard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. Because of the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done. Hallelujah. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And so this man had sat at the gate of the temple every, every day for 40 years. Everybody in the city would have known this guy. Everybody in the city would have passed by him as they went into the temple. And here he was, healed and walking and leaping and praising God and embracing John and Peter, right? Hallelujah. And being let go, they went to their own company. They went to their own, who's their own company? The church. They went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth uh, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever, thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Now, I wanna, I wanna pause just for a second They came back to the church. They came back to the assembly. They came back to the people of God who have all received the such as I have. And they told them what was happening. The rulers, the people in charge, the people who could have you killed had told them to shut up, had told them to be quiet, had told them to not spread the word. But instead, they in one accord begin to rejoice unto God and to pray. And what do they pray? They say, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart. And of one soul. Neither said of them. Neither said any of them. That aught of the things which he possessed. Was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power. Gave the apostles witness. Of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace. That word. Is charis. That word is not grace. As in they walked and had a book on top of their head. And it didn't fall off or they danced very well, or they recovered from tripping very well. That word grace is divine ability. That word grace is the power of God. That word charis is charisma. It's the term that's used for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural doings of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And great grace was upon them all. All. Hallelujah. 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 Do you think the churches, the early church's prayer was fulfilled? Yes. Well, actually, yeah, of course, because they talk of the fulfillment of it is, is like a verse later. Talk about the suddenlies of God. And when they finished praying, the place was shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There were miracles wrought by the apostles. and, And the charisma of God was on all of them. So they got the fulfillment of the prayer right there. Right? Seems to be a pattern. Seems to be a pattern. But... What are we seeing? We are seeing in here at the birth of the church, the empowering of the church, the church in one heart, the church in one mind, in one soul, recognizing that they are all one body, all being filled with the supernatural power of God. Hallelujah. We're, and we're talking about a massive multiplication, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people being added to the church immediately. Because it's hard to say no when you see miracles. And I don't know what possesses people to think that miracles are no longer necessary in the modern world. If anything, miracles are more necessary now Because everybody today is convinced in their own little rationalism, right? In fact, people today are so comfortable, not everywhere in the world. There's a great many places in the world where people are very uncomfortable, where they're crying out for miracles. But in some places, people are so comfortable that they don't think that miracles are necessary. They can make it, they can handle, life is way easier than it used to be and therefore we don't need miracles. But if anybody takes a look around at the world today and what is happening all over the face of the earth right now, then you know that we need miracles. You know that we need miracles. And there's no excuse you can make for why we shouldn't have them. The word of God is clear that the word of God is clear about what we've received. The word of God is clear about what we've received. And there is no theological, biblical, or other reason to conclude that we don't have access to what the other people that received the same thing had access to. So you can decide that you don't need a miracle. You can decide that you can make it on your own. That you're just going to be a good person and love God and live naturally. You can decide that for you. But you can't claim that miracles aren't for today. Because that's not in the Bible. in there and not only is it not in the Bible it runs completely counter to what the Bible says it is it is a indictment against God who said he would never leave us nor forsake us It is an indictment against God that gave us the same promises that he gave those people in that church on that day, that he gave those people that were sitting under Christ's ministry. We have the same promises that they do. We live in a a time that in some ways is very different, but in other ways, nothing has really changed. People still have need that only God can meet. Yes. Hallelujah. 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 So what happened? What happened after this day, after this prayer? We know what happened. The church, to you know, make a long story short, well, not that long of a story. To make a short story shorter, (laughs) the church spread out all over the world, preaching the gospel and healing the sick and casting out devils devils and destroying the witchcraft of the pagans showing that Jesus was the lord and the only way to god and they did it not with the enticing words of man's wisdom but with demonstrations and with power you can't you you can't convince someone into a miracle This is not a mind over matter kind of thing. You need actual miraculous power that can change a physical circumstance. Why is it, why is it that the people that sat under Jesus' teaching, who was the greatest biblical teacher that could ever exist, who taught them all the things that they needed to know, why would they need miracles in order to preach the gospel? And we wouldn't need miracles in order to preach the gospel. Were they more equipped? Or less equipped? Does the fact that we have their writings make our knowledge superior to theirs? That doesn't even make any sense. Does that make any sense? Is the fact that you can read Einstein's theory of relativity, does that make you smarter than Einstein? So being able to read the epistles of Paul does not mean you know the word of God better than Paul did who wrote those epistles. So, so knowledge of the word of God, knowledge of the doctrine of God is not something that we have over the apostles. Surely the ones who were taught directly by Jesus, surely he was the best at it. Surely, he was the best at it. Surely, the years that they sat under his teaching, when he appeared to them supernaturally, even Paul, who received his gospel from Jesus and then went to confirm what Jesus has showed him with the apostles. He went privately and met with Peter and James. And and they discussed... What had been delivered to him and he confirmed, he confirmed what had been delivered to him was the gospel, right? He even said, they added not one thing to me. And so the Lord had taught him the whole gospel. If Jesus taught you the whole gospel... If we don't need miracles, they didn't need miracles. But listen, miracles aren't just about dunking on people that disagree with you. It's not like, oh, you don't believe God is real? Ta-da! That's not the purpose of miracles. Right? Peter and John were not showing off when they healed the man at the gate. Beautiful. He was suffering. He had an infirmity. He had a lifelong situation that had imprisoned him. And there was no natural escape from it. And so, delivering that miracle to that man was not to reap the harvest of the people that were there. Delivering that miracle to that man was because that man needed a miracle. And there are people like that all over the world. And, and there's not a division between the faith in the name of Jesus and the healing. There's not a division of the preaching of the good news of the gospel and the miraculous deliverance from earthly and soulish circumstances. They're the same. They marveled at the apostles' doctrine when the apostles did miracles. They marveled at Jesus' doctrine when he did miracles. The miracles were part of the doctrine. The teaching was the solution is here. And so they didn't just need miracles as a method to spread the gospel quickly. They had miracles because people needed miracles. Because people needed miracles. That was not the Lord using people's suffering to preach who he is. It was the Lord delivering people out of their suffering because his will was not that they would suffer. Jesus said God's will for that man that was born blind was to see. And if that's God's will for that man that was born blind, why isn't that God's will for every man and woman that are born blind? If it's not God's will that any should suffer, then how are you going to solve those problems of suffering without supernatural power? And it's not just about physical miracles. It's about deliverance. It's about casting out devils. Listen, these days we have all kinds of treatments that are, are largely ineffective, but people try. Right? We have physical treatments that might help a little bit. Right? We have, we have things like psychology. Psychology where we attempt to like unwrap what the source of a, of a deeply seated soul issue is in order to solve it. Do you know what that person really needs? Do you know what that person really needs? Do you know what happens when that hurt that is in you gets healed by God? It's like it never happened. And you're not just a recovering alcoholic that went through AA and hasn't had a drink in 10 years. You're actually healed. So if the need is there, the supply is there. Or let's say the supply is there because it's from God. And God's supply is infinite. And if you have need of it... Then knock and the door shall be opened. Seek and ye shall find. Ask and you shall receive. There's a whole lot of people not asking. Because they don't want to, I don't know, bother God. Like he's got bigger things to worry about. He's got an infinite amount of time to do everything. He's got an infinite amount of power to do everything. His attention is not limited. He has just as much attention for you as he has for the cosmos. He's not going to be like, I'm kind of busy. Right? So the power was there. The power was there. And they went out and they preached the gospel all over the world. And listen, we 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 know, we know, we teach about it, we'll teach about it more. You know, Dr. Harfouche goes into much more detail on certain things in first century discipleship and in FCF we talk about it and, and you know, you be connected and get all of that. Because there's a lot, there's too much for us to ever cover in one meeting or in one handful of meetings, right? But what happens is that the, the the city of Jerusalem, the gospel is spread throughout the whole city of Jerusalem. And then eventually the Christians are dispersed from the city of Jerusalem, uh, but not until the city of Antioch, the church in Antioch is founded, right? And that's where Paul is when they hear from the Holy Ghost and they lay their hands on him. (laughs) Listen, even Paul, even Paul who met Jesus right? On the road to Damascus. He doesn't believe it was a vision. He describes it in his epistles exactly as the other appearances of Christ to the to the apostles and to the other people after the resurrection, right? He appeared to Peter. He appeared to James. He appeared to the 12. He appeared to 500. He appeared to all the apostles. It's interesting that the apostles and the 12 are not the same group of people. Not gonna get into that right now. But Paul, who had an experience where the resurrected Christ Knocked him off his horse, right? Was it donkey, right? He had to find a member of the body of Christ who could, such as I have. He had to find Ananias, Ananias. A man we don't know much about. But the Lord talked to him and said, listen, that murderer that's been trying to kill you guys is over there. And I want you to go lay hands on him and baptize him. And Ananias was like, Lord, are you sure? But he did it. And Paul needed that to happen. He needed the church to say, such as I have, give I unto you. Now, why did Jesus not just take care of that when he saw him? Because Jesus already founded the one church. He already founded the church. Is that accurate? Jesus... Jesus founded the church. The Holy Ghost was poured out. The promise was received. And so Jesus didn't show up and give Paul his own Pentecost and start some separate church. No, he said, find my body. Find my body and let my body put its hands on you. Hallelujah. 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 And so Paul did. Paul did. Listen, he was taught by God, but he was laid hands on by Ananias. He was laid hands on by the church. He received the such as I have. And how many of you know what happened thereafter at Antioch? That's what we were talking about. The pastor, the, the the prophets and the 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 teachers, doctors, the prophets and doctors at Antioch laid hands on him and Barnabas and sent them because the Holy Ghost directed them to do it, and they, they became apostles by the laying on of hands, not because those those prophets and doctors called them. No, God called them. They said, the Lord said, separate them unto the work wherein I have called them. And so the calling was of God, just like the Lord appeared to Paul. But the empowering came from the body. Because that is how Christ works. Because no other foundation can be laid than that which is already laid. Hallelujah. hallelujah, one body, one body. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 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 And, and listen, we see that such as I have. We see that, that doctrine of impartation being central in every part of the practice of the church. You see, you see the appointment of overseers By the laying on of hands. You see the appointment of elders. By the laying on of hands. You see the appointment of deacons. By the laying on of hands. And it's not ceremony. And we know it's not ceremony. Because Paul said. Stir up the gift. That is in you. And so there was something received. By that laying on of hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just like we talked about, the term bishopric is used to describe the, the, the authority of the apostles. When they needed to appoint a replacement for Judas, the scripture said, let his bishopric be given to another. And the apostles themselves went out. And they didn't say, such as I have, I think I'll keep such as i have we're going to keep it all in this group of people right here we're going to we're going to hoard the such as we have and not give it to anyone else no they appointed overseers they appointed bishops, whatever word you want to use, they appointed and they said, such as I have, give I unto you. Paul said, Timotheus, such as I have, give I unto you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, And listen, you can't think of what they had as being something different or stronger, or more pure than what you have. Right? And you also have to recognize what that shows us about the church. That that impartation, that appointment, whether it's being born into the church, whether it's being placed in a position of authority within the church as a minister or as an elder or as an overseer, a deacon, a presbyter, or a bishop, whether it is being sent out to a specific ministry, in every case you have the Holy Ghost directing and you have the laying on of hands and the impartation You have the empowerment going into people and people going out. And so the gospel spread at a rate that cannot be replicated by any small group of people because the empowerment was not on a small group of people the empowerment went out from the leadership to the whole body. And the whole body went out with power and changed the world. And so you had people with different calls and different positions in the body, different parts of the body like we talked about, members in particular, different, different places and positions in the body. But every joint, every part of the body is compacted together by that which every joint supplieth, by that which the Lord empowers each and every one of us, right? And so the gospel spread. And listen, this is not, I want to be clear about this. This is not an, just an abstract thing. Oh, and then the gospel spread across the, right? It's not, it's not just like the last verse of Mark, and they went. The Lord confirming the the word with signs following. It's not just. And then there was a scripture that ends in infinity, like uh, the end of a, the end of Acts, because the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there because the church didn't end there. The church continued on, and we have. All of the confirmation of scripture as well as all of the historical proofs that go out after that scripture. That show us that progression all over the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This was a time where they did not have the technology that we have now. Listen, if we're walking in the empowerment that they're walking in and we have the technology that we have now, then we can see an evangelization that's like nothing that that could be accomplished, that could physically be accomplished in the time that they were alive. Look, the Lord had to help them out. He was picking people up by their hair and carrying them to different villages so that they could preach because there was no planes. But we got people connected with us from every nation under heaven now. If the people that were saying that prayer in one accord had that technology, well, you know, take a moment and think about how big the harvest is compared to what they had to go after in their time. Think about how blessed we are That we have such a great harvest in front of us ready to reap. Because in that time, the population of the world was about 250, 300 million people. That's less than the population of the United States of America. On the whole planet. The largest city that existed at the time was Rome. With about 1.5 million people living there. Rome is dwarfed by every city that exists today. Now, there is a great gap of time after the fall of Rome in which it was not matched, about a thousand years, because there was a civilization collapse that happened, right? But I don't believe that we're headed towards a civilization collapse. I believe that we're headed towards an elevation. I believe that we're headed towards the end time harvest of souls. God working through his people. But that's how we, the, what we have in front of us is so much greater and vaster than what they had in front of them. And the capacity we have to reap that harvest is so much greater than the capacities that were available to them. But when you look at their results, their results are greater than modern results. And it is not because of the Roman roads. It is because of the power of God. It is because every member of that body knew what had been handed to them. They knew what the such as I have, I give unto you was. They knew what the promise that God had poured out on them was so they could put their faith on it. They could say, Lord, yes, That is what I want to walk in. You know, I've told this story before. Dr. Robin, after she got saved, she didn't even know anything about the word of God. It was like a couple weeks after she got saved. She got, and this isn't to brag. This is something that happened. She got called in by the pastor with this couple that had sores all over their body, open bloody sores, And it was related to, it was because they had AIDS. And she prayed for them. Not because she had read something or not because she had been taught to do so. But because when she was saved, she was healed. Just like that lame man at the gate, beautiful, was grabbed by the hand. And his ankle bones and knees received strength. She was paralyzed. And the night that she met Jesus, she was healed that same night. She went out and rented a dance studio and danced the next day. Or a couple days later, I don't know. Right after that. But she was healed that same night. And so that was her only experience with the gospel. That was all she had ever received about the gospel. And so that was all she knew. She knew, okay, well, the Lord, I'll pray for you and the Lord will heal you. Well, that's what the early church had because who were they looking at? They were looking at Jesus. They were looking at the apostles. They knew what Christianity looked like and it looked like such as I have, give I unto you. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah my goodness, my goodness. So if you have that available to you now, and if you know that that is what is available to you now, and if you see the miracles that God is doing, then you should have the desire to walk the way that they walked and to do the things that they did. Listen, I... I I'm, I, um, I wanted, to, I wanted to illustrate this. It's very, it's very abstract when you look back at some of these things. It can be very difficult to get a concrete understanding in your mind because some of them were far away, right? But this is just a list of some of the churches that are named in the Bible. And that were founded by the apostles. This is just a short list. It's not the entirety of the list. It's just a short list of them. And I wanted to read them to you because I, I think you need to get how quickly this spread. This is, we're talking about 30 years. 30 or 40 years. Okay, 30 years ago, it was 1980. Okay, okay. So, night, right? <laughs> Correct. 40 years ago, it was 1980. 30 years ago, it was 1990. Okay? Think about how recent that was. There's a couple people in here that are like, what? No, I wasn't even alive. But f- forget them for a second. And just think about... was, that just happened. Okay. That, that like just happened. It has not been that long. It has not been that long. Okay. And this is what we have. This is what we have. In fact, I, I actually made a map last night a little, cause I figured I wouldn't, I needed to illustrate this a little bit better. Do we have that? Okay. There we go. Can you read that people online? Can you see that? Uh, so this is not every, everything I'm about to read isn't even on that map. I couldn't fit everything. You might notice that things are real cramped over there, but I just wanted to give a visual. These are, these are places. Uh, you can online, you can show me, you don't have to keep that up for them. I'll read this. We got, this is just some of them. Okay. We got Antioch. How many of you know Antioch? Right. There's the other Antioch which is in Cilicia, by the way. It's a couple hundred miles away from the first Antioch. It's also confirmed in scripture to be the location of a church. Antioch, Antioch, Athens, Babylon, which isn't on the map, Berea, Caesarea, Cancria, Colossae, Corinth, Crete, Serene, Damascus, Derby, Ephesus, Hierapolis, Iconium, Jerusalem, Joppa, Laodicea, Lydda, Lystra, Pergamum, Philadelphia, Philippi, Puteoli, Rome, Sardis, Sharon, Smyrna, Tarsus, Thessalonica, Theatira, Troas, Cyprus, Malta, and Alexandria. Those are places we have named, right? So listen, we talked about last week how the letter that was written to the church of Antioch was written to the church at Antioch and those in the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And so there's a great many churches that the letters were also written to that aren't named because they weren't in major locations, right? So regions that are specifically named in the church that contain multiple churches or many churches is Phoenicia, Samaria, Judea. Galatia, Asia, Macedonia, Cilicia, and Galilee. And then we also know from history we have Spain, the churches in the first century. We have Armenia. We have Persia. We have Chaldea. And we have India. And uh, India is not on the map. You could, you could take the map down now. India is not on the map because it is really, really far away. Like I, you have really have to zoom out the map to get to India. Listen, Thomas, the Apostle Thomas went to India. Historians record it was about a 40-day trip by boat. So you get on a boat for 40 days, and you can make your way to India. And, uh, and uh, not only did he get there, but he founded churches that are still there. Today, the, 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 he founded actually seven churches and if you want the names, they're called Maliankara, Kota Kotakavu Paruvar, Niranam, Palayor, Nilakal, Kokamangalam, Kolam, and Thiruvuthangode. Okay. India, I know I mispronounced all of those. I'm sure Thomas did too when he first got there. <laughs> that's a couple decades. It's a few decades. It's thirty to forty years, and that's just the ones whose names we have. That's not even all the ones whose names we have. The gospel and and put up that map one more time. Look look at look at this. Let me tell you something. Just size wise, I realize that many people watching and here are American. And therefore, geography might not be your strongest suit when it comes to the Eastern Hemisphere. (laughs) But if you look at the Mediterranean Sea, right, that ends at Spain and goes all the way over to Jerusalem, the Mediterranean Sea is the same width as the United States of America. If you take the Mediterranean Sea and you overlay it over the United States of America, it's the same width. So going from Jerusalem to Spain would be like taking a donkey from Tampa to San Diego. Okay, you can take down the map again. I hope that map is clear. I don't know how well you could read it. I just felt like there should be some kind of visual aid so that you could understand what happened. Because this is crazy. It's crazy how fast the gospel spread like wildfire. And that's just a tiny portion. Because you have the Ethiopian eunuch that went down to Ethiopia. You have the gospel spreading out to regions all around. You have the foundations of the churches in Gaul and in the barbarian lands. You have very, very early, possibly first century in the, in the British Isles. That's far, but they got there. Did they get there because they were really impressive speakers? Did they get there because they weren't facing opposition? No, listen, the prayer that the apostles prayed and that the people of God prayed in one accord on that day, they prayed because the rulers of the places where they were teaching were arrayed against Christ. Were together... Fighting against the gospel of Christ. That wasn't just true in Jerusalem. That was true all over the world. The Christians went out into a world that was pagan and alien to many of them to places, I mean, imagine how crazy India must have been for Thomas. What was it like when he got there? Now, they spoke a form of Aramaic, right? Which is what made that possible, right? Because that's what he was speaking. And those churches stayed in communion with the church of Alexandria and the Syriac churches forever. They were always connected, but they were pretty far out there. It's like Spain was very disconnected from the rest of the church because of how far it was. They 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 referred to it as the farthest reaches of the West because they didn't know about us yet. Well, we weren't here, obviously. Um, but, you know. <laughs> but you have the gospel spreading to all of these places, to all of these places where the... In, Like, as a rule, the authorities of the nations that they went to were trying to stop them. These were pagan nations. We talked about this several weeks ago. The persecutions, the martyrdoms. We talked about Polycarp. We know what the first few centuries of the church looked like. You know, they were throwing people to lions. They were uh, burning them. They were crucifying them. They were killing them all over the world. The apostle Paul, they stoned him multiple times. Just, Just a reminder, stoning is a form of execution. That's like saying that they hung you multiple times. Or they put you in the electric chair multiple times. Or they put you in front of the, the the firing squad multiple times. Okay? They stoned him multiple times. They beat him with rods. He was shipwrecked. But and, and, and if he was if it was natural, he wouldn't have survived. So you know, you might look at that and say, Well, that's horrible. I don't want to go out and preach the gospel. But one stoning will kill you without the power of God. The survival was miraculous in every case. If they beat you with rods the way that they beat Paul with rods, you would be crippled. But Paul wasn't crippled. Paul wasn't dead. Paul was shipwrecked. He got up out of the ocean on Malta. Hundreds of miles away from the Holy Lands. And he got bit by a snake and he shook it off. How many of you know that all of the persecutions and the threats of death and the stonings and the beatings and everything that they did against Paul was just like that snake? How many of you know that he could not have survived them without a miracle? So there's no reason for you to think that he experienced any pain from those attacks. Because if the survival was miraculous, then he was not damaged by what was happening to him. Just like that snake. So Paul needed the power of God for the divine protection from the people that were trying to have him killed. Right? And he needed the power of God for the divine deliverance of the broken and the crippled and the blind and the broke everywhere that he went. And all the apostles needed that. And all and just think about the thousands of people walking around doing miracles in the first century and founding churches who you have never heard of. We talked about the, the, the epistle to Philemon. The epistle to Philemon was written to a pastor in a church in Colossae that was not founded by Paul. It was founded by someone else who's got no books in the Bible and is only mentioned in the epistle of Philemon and the epistle to the Colossians. Now, was he, did he come out of nowhere? No, he was from Ephesus. Ephesus, kind of a big deal in the ancient Christian world, right? Ephesus, Antioch, uh, Alexandria, and Rome were the metropolises of that time in history. They were the New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Miami of the Roman world, right? I actually did have another picture I wanted to show you. I got this. This is a little bonus. Uh, This is Antioch in the first century. So we're not talking about villages. We're talking about massive walled Roman cities. This is actually a historically accurate reconstruction by an archaeologist of the city of Antioch in the first century. That's where the church of Antioch was. Might be really, really, really small, but if you look down there at the tiny little left bottom, you could see tiny little people the size of ants. <laughs> walking into the city, right? Can you see that? No, you can? Okay, you, you can take it down. No, that I just, because what's the visual you have in your head of the world that they were going out into? Huts, huts right? It's not huts, <laughs> If you were thinking huts, it's not huts. So one of the most powerful and impressive empires that ever existed in human history was what they were going out into, right? Ephesus was larger than Antioch. Rome was larger than either. And those places became major centers of Christianity. Why? Because they were huge, they were major cities. They were at the center of crossroads. They were places where people could connect. And the apostle Paul was there preaching the gospel in a church in that city when it looked like that. You could go to the place where the Christians were gathering and sit and listen to Paul and Simon the Black and Menaean. You could sit and listen to the prophets and the doctors that were at Antioch. And it didn't stop at Jerusalem and Antioch. It wasn't like there were just two churches at that time. No, the gospel spread farther than technology could have accounted for. And it did so by the supernatural power of God. Now, listen. I would like to tell you something that probably very few of you have heard and will blow your minds. This is just a a simple fact, a simple historical fact. Now, you might say, well, now that we're not being thrown into a pit full of hungry lions, we don't need to be as crazy about the power of God and doing the supernatural. Right, like now that we're not like going to face up against a pagan sorceress who's possessed by the devil, then we don't need, you know, maybe we can just have some practical life principles. Right now that we've live in a place where we have freedom to believe, well, well, we have consent. We're supposed to. We legally have freedom to believe and to practice the way that our heart and our conscience leads us to, although there are some difficulties in the actual practice because there are still people with demons that are not fond of those uh, particular liberties that we don't need to be as crazy as all that. But if you actually were to count up the number of people in the world who were martyred century by century, what martyred for their faith. I'm not talking about people killed by regimes for other reasons because we all know, you know, that there's been a whole lot of people killed by regimes in the 20th century especially, right? Just martyrs just people killed for being Christian and refusing to denounce what they believe, you would find that in the 20th century, more Christians were martyred than all 19 prior centuries. In the 20th century more Christians were killed for being Christian than died under the Diocletian persecution. In the 20th century, more Christians were killed for being Christian, for preaching the gospel, than died under Nero's persecution, that died under any persecution that existed in the history of the church. Now, if that's the case, then how much do we need the power of God? How much do we need the power that will allow you to say, they hung me multiple times? How much do you need the power that will allow you to say, they could not kill me like they could not kill John? How much more Do we need that power today? Then they needed that power then. There are seven billion people on the planet today. The population of the earth more than doubled in the last hundred years. The harvest that we have available to us, the wheat that is out there, the people that need the word of God are a larger number than has ever existed before. And the people that are dying for the gospel today is not getting smaller, it's getting larger. It's Memorial Day weekend. We in the United States celebrate the people that have fought for our freedoms. Hundreds of years ago, we had religious immigrants, pilgrims, that came seeking a place where they could serve the Lord without being stoned multiple times. Right? They came seeking a place where no one could stop them from practicing their faith with all of their heart. And that's the heritage that this country has. That is the foundational principle that this country has. But we should not, as Christians, just honor the people that have fought in wars for this nation so that we could practice our faith. We should honor those that have given their lives for the past 2,000 years so that we can practice our faith, who have fought for the gospel, who have fought for our faith and our freedom. Those are people that we honor and we are thankful in everything that the Lord has done to give us the ability to serve Him in this nation. But we also understand that our mission is not just to this nation. That the Great Commission is not just to this nation. And all over the world where people are still being martyred for being Christians, they need just as much as we need that such as I have and so we're here standing for that standing for that faith that faith that was delivered once to the saints the faith that made that man whole the faith that's what Peter said that's what Peter said. It was the faith that made him whole. Is that not the faith that we are told to contend for? Is that not one and the same faith? So if it's the same faith, it can reap the same results in the world today. And we're not living in a time of less need. We are living in a time of greater need. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so you can stand up for what is the promises of God for your life. And you can stand up with that strength in your knees and in your ankles. Even if you've been lying down for 40 years, you can stand up and receive strength and say, that's the faith I believe in. That's the faith I received. And just like Peter and John said to that man, such as I have, give I unto you and that man who embraced Peter and John in front of the multitude would have went out and I'm sure he did and the same way that he was touched, just like Dr. Robin only knew that the Lord healed, he would say such as I have give I unto you such as I have give I unto you what has been given me, what I received give I unto you and that is us. That is who we are. And that is what we do. And so we can stand together and we can stand for that prayer of unity, that prayer of strength. And we can know what we have so that we can give what we have to others that need what we have. So that the 21st century won't be an era of unparalleled martyrdom like the 20th century was. But the 21st century can be an era of the people of God standing up and receiving strength and saying, such as I have, give I unto you. hallelujah 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 Hallelujah. well if you believe that and if you have received some strength then just stand up and shout Thanks for joining us on the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. Join us on our other podcast, Miracles Today. Connect with us at globalrevival.com and we'll see you next week.